Good morning. Uh, so last week we started a new series uh, called Starting Point, and the whole idea behind the series is that we want to engage people in conversation, uh, in life, about faith, that we actually know uh, the living God and that he's changed our lives, and we want to share that with other people, uh, especially people who don't know God at all, or maybe they used to a long time ago, and now they don't do that so much anymore, and, and everything in between. And so this whole idea of starting point is just, what are some of the common roadblocks that we all run into? Because you probably have somebody in your life, I know I do, that they don't believe, um, they don't have time for God, church, Jesus, religion, any of that stuff. And I love them. And I want them to know what I know. And I don't want it to be a fight, I don't want it to be an argument. I know I can't argue anybody to Jesus. Um, and so if you find yourself in those kinds of situations, then I hope this series is, is meaningful for you. Uh, to start off our time though, I kind of have a little bit of a video that's gonna be a lighthearted approach at the topic we're gonna find ourselves discussing today. So uh, we'll continue with that video now. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking to Kind of a, a cute way of looking at what we need to talk about today. Um, so we got a problem. We got a big problem, and so what we're gonna talk about today is, is that problem. It's kind of a humorous thing. That video has a lot to say about husbands and wives of communication, I think, but we're not gonna go there. Um, but something, sometimes things seem so obvious to one person, and it's not obvious to the other, right? And, and I believe that when we talk about matters of faith, that's exactly the dynamic we find ourselves in. And so when we're talking about faith, we have to talk about the problem that is sin. You, you can't avoid it. Uh, we can try, but it doesn't work very well. And so for consideration uh, for a text today, I wanna read to you something that is uh, probably a very well-known text, certainly to you, the parable of the prodigal son, probably known as the, the best or the most favorite of Jesus's parables that people seem to resonate with. It's so rich, it's so beautiful, and so I'm gonna take some time here to actually read that for you. 
And he said there was a young man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my entire share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything and a severe famine arose in that country, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the very best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called out to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brothers come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What a powerful, powerful text. There's so much going on there. Uh, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words, and I need to do this. There we go. Rembrandt's prodigal son. I love literature, I love art, um, and this is great. We got the image of the father there with his hands upon his son. The younger one, of course, is on his knees facing the father. He's got a shoe off, he's dirty, he's filthy. His head looks like it's got mange. And then the one the figure that you can see standing to the side very prominently is the older brother somewhat resentful, taking the whole scene in. And in the back is just kind of these two very muted figures, perhaps town folk, perhaps servants, we don't really know. Um, we're gonna come back to this image, but it's, it's a powerful one because this story is powerful. That different times in my life, I have identified with any one of those three people, right? The patient, forgiving father, the reckless, impulsive son, or the bitter, resentful one. At different times, I found myself in all three of those positions, and maybe 
you have also. And when we're trying to talk to people who don't believe in God about God, and we need to talk about sin, it's always a difficult conversation. Yet it's one that we're called to. It's one that we need to be very bold and faithful because we can't call sin not sin. That's not an option. Uh, not just in church, but anywhere. Because, well, God has a word, and that word means something to us. So the big problem that we're going to deal with today, uh, the topic, is this idea of sin. And we're going to start with the younger brother first. It's kind of easy to start in on him, although there have been different times this parable has been called the parable of the forgiving father, the parable of the uh, older son. Uh, we oftentimes so hear about it, the parable of the prodigal son. So if you wonder about what it might be like to try to identify with this knucklehead, let me tell you. Can you imagine eating your father's food at your father's table off your father's plate with your father's fork every day of your life, bending to his will, doing everything all the time the way you're supposed to? I just described your childhood. Um, and what do we do? We rebel against that. We go, I know better. I want to do something I want to do for a change. I want to go and live life on my terms. I've got to figure this out myself, Mom. I've got to figure this out myself, Dad. Right? There's a prodigal in all of us. And the sad thing is we don't have to dig very deep to find them. All of us are impulsive and reckless in our own ways at times. There are times, like this son was so short-sighted. If you remember the text that I just read you, basically he just said, hey, Dad, um, I want my part of the inheritance. The thing about that is, though, usually to get an inheritance, somebody has to die. What he was saying, in effect, was, Dad, drop dead and give me your money. That's kind of crazy. It's insulting. It's all those things. And, and Jesus, as he tells parables, there's often elements of, of um, just utter madness in them, things that don't make sense. And the first part in here is that the son would go and dare ask a thing like that of his father and that the father would comply. That's crazy. But that's exactly what the father does here. He gives the son exactly what he says he wants and he takes this share of his property, about a third of his whole estate, and off he goes. And it says he went to a faraway country, most likely because the locals wouldn't touch his money. They know his dad. I'm not going to do that. I'm not getting involved. So he has to go to a faraway country, and he blows through it. You know, it kind of reminds me of college. No, no. Um, the first part of my marriage? No. Uh, anyway, you, you find a lot of money, and then you blow it because you don't know how to use it. You don't, you don't think. And so this guy runs through his money. He had plenty of friends, plenty of fun, and then the money ran out. And he began to be in need, and he had no friends anymore. And he started feeding pigs, which for a Jew is kind of a low, low, low job. But he's in a faraway country. He's doing what he needs to do. And he gets so that he sees this disgusting food that the pigs are eating. And he says, man, that looks good. Wish I could have some of that. And he's like, I know what I'll do. I got it. Perfect idea. I'm going to go to my dad and say that I'm sorry. And he'll make me one of his hired servants because his hired servants have it way better than I have it here now. So I'll do that. That's what he was aiming for. We'll come back to him. We also got this other guy, this other knucklehead, who is angry, bitter, resentful, hurt. 
the older brother. Can you imagine watching your little brother, who you never really liked anyway, just like take off? He like grabbed the money and ran. And now you're the only one at the house. And your chores just doubled. And some of the money you thought you had coming your way just went out the door with them. This older brother is angry, he's bitter, he's resentful. And it's clear because the text tells us that. We don't hear much about him until the son comes back. And it says he's out in the field. And back in those days, if dad's throwing a party, the oldest son is supposed to be running the party so the dad can just drink and laugh and hang out with people and not worry about how are we doing on food, how are we doing on wine, how is this going, da, da, da. This older son takes care of all the logistics so dad can just be dad. So the first red flag here is that the older son is out in the field and he doesn't know what's going on. He's so disconnected. He's there on the property, doesn't know what's going on. That's one thing. He's not doing the duty he's supposed to be doing. That's the second thing. And he has to call another servant. He has to call a servant over and says, hey, what's going on? What's the big ruckus? Oh, your brother, he's back. And so he goes and he doesn't have a party favor in hand and a little, you know, silly cone-shaped hat. He, he doesn't even go in. He stands on the outside and just kind of folds his arms. At least that's the way I imagine it. And uh, he's ticked. And you heard it. When the dad comes out, the dad, who shouldn't be running the party, is, and he has to leave that party to deal with his other knucklehead son, who is so angry. Did you hear his words? He said, I've served you all these years. I did everything I was supposed to do by the book. You didn't throw me a party. Not even a little goat. But when this kid, this little brother, he says, this son of yours. He doesn't say my brother. You know, it's kind of like, this is kind of the, the deal that all parents pull when their you know, kids get in trouble. Yeah, I remember, you know, my wife would bring in my son, your son did this thing, you know? And it's like, oh, okay. This son of yours squandered with prostitutes. We don't even know that. That's just what the older brother thinks. He's so angry. And I'm going to just pause there for a minute and say, there are different times in your life and your faith when you are, are definitely more like one than the other, but you're always a little bit of both. There are times that you look at things in your life and you say, that's not fair. I've been here. I paid my dues. I did what I was supposed to do, and, and then I didn't get what I was supposed to get. Or you were in a situation where you couldn't stay there one minute longer or else you'd explode. And we know people that are like that because we're like that. But the person I haven't talked about a whole lot in this text just yet is the dad, this father. How patient is he? I mean, he does crazy things. One, he gives his kid exactly what his kids ask for, which, by the way, isn't always a good thing. But that's what he does. And it says in this beautiful text that when he saw his younger son a long way off, out in the distance, off on the horizon. It's like the old man had been there day after day, just peering into nothingness, hoping beyond hope that he might see his son again. And then up over the hill he comes, and the father has no idea what the kid is going to say. The kid could say, you shorted me. I need more money. Um, I hate my older brother, and I just wanted to tell him that. I have no, 
He had no idea what he was going to say. Uh, the, the father didn't. But it didn't matter to the father. If you remember what I said in the text, it says the father ran to him, which is another crazy thing to do because you don't show your calves at that age and that culture. But he ran, just took off. And he hugged him and he kissed him and he embraced him. And immediately he began to restore him to the community, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. For this son of mine was lost, is found, he was dead, but now is alive. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's all that. If you noticed, there was some verbiage that the prodigal son had rehearsed. He said, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll tell dad I sinned against heaven, I sinned against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Kind of a four-part speech. And he gets there and he says, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he dropped the last demand or the last part of the speech. Have you ever wondered why? I did, so I found out. Why ask to be made a servant when you're a son? The father restored him to the family. You're not a worker. You're not a servant. You're my kid. I've known you since before you were born. I love you. You drive me crazy, but I love you. And if you're a parent, you know that. And so here's a father who wants desperately to have both of his boys with him, not just now, but for eternity. And so the son drops his demand. He drops, make me like one of your hired servants. Love, love, love this image. If you were to look closely at the hands of the father as they're extended upon his son. One hand is very masculine, and the other is very feminine. And I think, I don't know much, but I think that might be a way that Rembrandt was trying to depict that God is, is just and he's merciful. He's kind of got that hard edge, right? I demand justice and perfection and sinlessness, but there's also that I love you, there's compassion, there's forgiveness, there's grace. And I'm just going to tell you that as you find yourself talking to different people, especially your own family members, um, neighbors, what have you, about what it means to have a conversation about faith, it's got to include sin. It's got to include grace. Those are all important parts of this conversation. And it is a conversation. It's not just you talking. It's not you trying to get them from A to B to C to D. It is listening to what they have to say. Their hurt, their thoughts. Chances are they know this story even as well as you do. If we're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about sin. If we're going to talk about sin, we're going to talk about grace. Because only then does Jesus matter to people. I mean, how can I go and talk to you about Jesus if you don't know that sin is a problem in your life? What do you have to confess? What do you have to be forgiven of? Nothing, if you don't know about sin. And in so many ways, that father was patient with both of those boys, and he tried to love and forgive them in very different ways, despite what they had done. And thanks be to God that he does that with us, that God forgives us. Wherever life has taken us, wherever that journey has gone, he's not far from us. And his son Jesus died 
and rose again. That whole message that we share during Easter, that you might have life and have it abundantly, that you can abide in Christ and that he would abide in you, that you would be part of the family and not left out in the cold. This story of the prodigal son is just amazing. It's powerful. But I do need to remind you that there is only one solution to a sin problem, and that's confession and absolution. That is Jesus' blood dripping over us to cleanse us. That's it. That's the only fix. I mean, that whole nail video is pretty funny, but, um, you know, sometimes, mistakenly, we want to try to fix a problem for somebody, but they have to see that problem, right? And only when they see that problem can they begin that hard work. We can want it for them all day long. But I believe God is calling us to love those people in our lives who seem to be unlovable, who seem to want nothing to do with God or his uh, word. Be patient like the father. Don't be resentful like the one son. Don't be reckless and impulsive like the other one. But most importantly, know that you have your own sin. And as you talk to those other people about life and faith, be very honest about that part. I'm no better than anybody in this room. I'm no better than anybody in this world, for that matter. But thanks be to God that Jesus laid down his life for me and for you and for those other people who don't even know him yet. May God use us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to share when appropriate, how appropriate, through love, the truth of God. To God be all glory and honor and praise. Amen. Indeed, may that peace which passes all understanding, may that keep our hearts and our minds in true faith in Christ our Lord.